0: Hi, welcome to Food Sleuth Radio, where we help you think beyond your plate. I'm Melinda Hamelgarn, a registered dietitian and investigative nutritionist on a mission to connect the dots between food, health, and agriculture and find food truth. And today I'm delighted to welcome Josh Golan. Golan is the associate director of the Campaign for a Commercial-Free Childhood. He has master's degrees in both child development and media studies. At the Campaign for a Commercial-Free Childhood, he runs the advocacy campaigns and develops its communication strategies. I met Josh maybe five or six years ago at one of the meetings of the Campaign for a Commercial-Free Childhood, and absolutely fell in love with the work that they do. So, Josh, welcome.
1: It's great to be here.
0: Well, first, let's let our listeners know what the Campaign for Commercial Free Childhood does. Well,
1: the Campaign for Commercial Free Childhood is. Our mission is to promote a healthy childhood by limiting the impact of commercial culture and commercialism on children. So one of the things that we try and do is connect the dots between some of the issues that so many parents and public health advocates are concerned about, whether it's childhood obesity or the sexualization of childhood, uh, media violence. And what we try and do is, is point out that there is a common link to all those things. It's our failure to protect children in the marketplace. And so what we do is we organize parents and we fight for policies that would protect children from some of the, the really insidious commercialism that is aimed their way.
0: And parents have a really tough time at this. And I, I remember the last meeting I attended, there was, well, there were many speakers who addressed this topic, but there was one speaker in particular who said, Really, parents feel like they have a ball and chain attached to their leg. Because on the one hand, we have this gut instinct that we don't want our child targeted so very much. But on the other hand, you've got this culture that's pushing them. And parents say, well, I bought this for my child because I don't want them to feel left out. Or I let them watch these programs because that's what all their friends are doing. And you have a daughter... And
1: I do, yeah, and
0: you're struggling with this ball and chain yourself, are you not?
1: Well, I am. I mean, I think it's, it's getting harder as she gets older. I think the younger children are, the more we can kind of um, control their environment and their world a little bit. As But, uh, you know, as they start doing things like going to preschool and coming into contact with, with lots of other kids who, who may be raised in homes with different values or different ideas about commercialism, it certainly changes things. I know for us and for a lot of parents, one of the things that we've gone through is kind of the, the Disney princess battle where we're not happy with what Disney princesses are and what they represent and the messages they send to girls, so uh, my daughter's not going to have them, but she certainly completely fell in love with Disney princesses based on uh, being exposed through other kids.
0: Mm-hmm. And how old is your daughter now? Uh, she's four. Okay, yes, you you haven't quite reached the school age yet, so I'll be keeping in touch with you <laughs> over the years. I should let our listeners know that the Campaign for a Commercial-Free Childhood website is absolutely rich with support and resource materials. And, of course, being a dietitian, I went immediately to the Food Marketing and Childhood Obesity site And just to let our listeners know what we're dealing with as parents who want to protect our children's health, you have a great quote from a gentleman from General Mills who says, when it comes to targeting kid consumers, we at General Mills follow the Procter & Gamble model of cradle-to-grave. We believe in getting them early and having them for life. And that's why children are so heavily targeted, because if we can give kids a good time around a product and if we can get them to like our product early and often, we do have them for life. Tell me a little bit about how the Campaign for Commercial-Free Childhood has looked at kids' marketing with regard to food in particular.
1: Well, I think one of the things that's a little unique about uh, CCFC is that we truly believe that the best thing for kids would be to have no food marketing. Um, I know that there are those who believe that the the key to improving children's diets and well-being is to put in place nutrition standards for marketing and and, and make some of the worst products off-limit um, and start marketing healthier food. We really believe that a much better approach, a much more approach that takes into account ch- children 's development and and really their their the whole child and not just um, looking at it through the narrow lens of how can we can improve children 's diets would be to make children off limits and really go back to empowering parents as decision makers when it comes to children 's food so what we we're pretty excited actually we have a chain of organics markets and on the east coast is getting ready to announce that they will have no products in the store with children's cartoons characters on them that's something that we've been working with them on and and we think that this is it's it's a really important move because what it's saying is that Using these characters who are so beloved by children to manipulate them—it's not okay. Whether we're doing it for an organic, natural product, it's not okay if we're doing it to get that kids to go to McDonald's. What we really need to do is to teach kids to eat based on what's good for them. To teach, learn to teach them about, you know, having family meals, about what, the importance of food, where it comes from. But really get away from this idea that just because SpongeBob says it's good, whether it's a carrot or a Big Mac, it's, that's not the way to learn how to eat. And I think that that approach that we take is, is maybe a little different than some of the, some of the other uh, nutrition advocates out there. But we find it's a message that's resonating more and more with parents who are just so tired of all the junk food and all the marketing in general that's aimed at their children.
0: That's a very interesting point, because I remember years ago, there was a, well, it's a famous, it's a classic study at Stanford, where children, I believe they were given uh, juice and carrots, and some were not labeled with any kind of characters, and others had the McDonald's arches on them, and the children preferred those products that had the McDonald's logo on there, and these were young kids, so You're right. There are individuals in the nutrition community who say, put those adorable characters on the healthy food to get our kids to eat more, compared to the CCFC model, which is, no, we shouldn't be manipulating our kids to any degree for anything because it's just not right.
1: Yeah, and I think one of the things that's important to understand is that children, and particularly young children, don't experience advertising the same way that adults do. Up until kids are about the age of eight, they don't understand advertising's persuasive intent. And what that means is that when kids see an advertisement or, or they get a pitch for a product, they're taking that information the same way that they would take it if it came from a parent or a teacher um, or some other trusted adult. They don't, you know, one of the one of the main defenses that we have against advertising as adults, and, and we're we're incredibly vulnerable anyway. But is that we we understand that the information in an advertisement is is designed to get us to want things. And so we were able to evaluate that information based on knowing that. Kids don't really have that sense yet until they get to be about the age of eight. So it's fundamentally unfair to present this information to them when they're not ready to grapple with with what an ad is actually trying to do.
0: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And when children then get to school and schools are strapped for funds and then schools are given an opportunity to... Bring some money in by partnering with these food companies, generally not those that are in the best interest of our children's health. It becomes really difficult for children because, on the one hand, perhaps they're learning about health in the classroom. they trust their teachers. I mean, school is a sacred place, right? It's like it's like home only where we where we learn things from trusted adults. and then to have a product endorsed or to be seen as being endorsed. By the teacher or school, I think that's especially harmful.
1: I absolutely agree. I mean, one of the that's one of the major areas that the, the campaign for commercial free childhood works on is is trying to keep advertising out of schools. And and we see schools that are well meaning, and they're facing budget crunches that are just heartbreaking. And they and they and they see, you know, partnering with food companies, having advertising in their schools as being free money, but they don't necessarily recognize that it comes at a real cost the cost of of selling out their children and the cost of undermining the education process, I mean, as you said, children go to school with the expectation that all the messages that they are getting there have been selected for them because they're in their best interests, and it's very difficult to to separate a uh, a coca cola ad on a scoreboard or curriculum materials that are sponsored by General Mills from the other messages that you're getting in a school. And so, um, you know, we we really try and urge educators to think about what are the ramifications. It may seem like you're going to get uh, a few thousand dollars, and and that's, you know, obviously schools need every dollar they can get, but... Nothing is free, and and we think that there's some real costs that definitely outweigh any kind of monetary benefits of having advertising in schools.
0: And that's what I love about your organization is it helps parents and teachers and our, whole, our larger community really start tallying those costs. Two years ago at your national meeting, Morgan Spurlock received an award, the Fred Rogers Award, which we'll talk a little bit about later. But I will never forget him describing what it was like to grow up in a relatively underserved community and wanting these sneakers with a logo on them and his mother, you know, basically saying no at the time. And then, of course, he went on and he produced the movie about, I guess it was the best movie ever made. I may have that title a little bit wrong, but I will never forget the clip where he visits a school district, I believe it's in Miami, and basically the folks who are sitting around the board table trying to find resources for the school, they basically say, yeah, our school is up for sale.
1: Yeah, it's heartbreaking. We, we put schools in a terrible position when we don't fund them, but obviously advertising in schools is not the answer. And actually, um, I mean, one of the things that's certainly advertising in schools is on the rise since uh, the economic downturn. Certainly more schools are doing this, but one of the things that we're heartened about is Even in these times when schools are facing tremendous budget crunches, so many schools are still saying no to allowing advertising in their schools. And, in fact, even states are saying no. Last year there were nine bills that were introduced to allow advertising on school buses in in nine different states. And thanks in part to our efforts and, and advocates around the country, all nine were defeated. So I think that speaks a lot to people recognizing that the school is still a special environment that should be protected from some of these commercial influences, when even now, you know, when schools would do almost anything for for extra funding, that we're still able to recognize that that's not the way uh, a lot of the time.
0: Mm-hmm. And the situation with advertising on school buses is just one of many victories you have listed on your website under history and highlights. And I want to mention some others that you've done. Your organization was able to convince the Walt Disney Company to stop falsely promoting Baby Einstein videos as educational for babies and to offer refunds to parents who had been deceived by the company's marketing.
1: Yeah, that's one of our long ongoing campaigns um, has been to kind of to stop what's called the genius baby industry. One of the things that's really important in terms of promoting a commercial-free, promoting a healthier childhood is reducing the amount of time that children spend with, with screens. And unfortunately, that's starting in infancy these days, even though the American Academy of Pediatrics recommends that children under the age of two don't watch any TV, don't watch any videos. And so one of the reasons that parents are letting their kids watch is because these things are heavily promoted as being educational. And so we were able, through a Federal Trade Commission complaint and and through some other advocacy, to get the Walt Disney Company to change its marketing and actually offer a refund. And we saw a real shift after that in terms of parents' perception of these videos, you know, where it used to be these were very much a a must-have kind of gift in terms of, if you know, if you want to give your baby a head start, um, we, we were able to really kind of put a dent in that perception, and I think that, um, I think parents have a, a better understanding of, of what, what babies really need, in part because of that advocacy.
0: Yeah, and you raise a really good point, and that is it's the parents' perception of these products. Every parent wants their child to have the leg up. You know we all want our kids to get ahead and to be the best they can possibly be and so we as parents that are targeted by these products and we 're made to feel like we 're not doing as much as we could for our child if we don 't buy this
1: yeah, no that 's absolutely the case i mean in fact we we took on a another company called Your Baby Can Read, which was a very expensive video system for for babies it could cost as much as two hundred dollars. And we heard um, just heartbreaking stories from low-income parents uh, mm-hmm. and people who work with low-income parents, where they were saying, "You know, this is my chance." Even the playing field between my child and, and children from from wealthier families is by buying these these videos. When in fact that was the exact opposite of what they should be doing. But the, the marketing was so effective that you know the the word was out in these communities that if you want your kid to do as well as the kid from the suburbs, spend this $200, which is a tremendous financial burden for these families, in order to level the playing field. And so that's another company that we were able to. They're actually out of, uh, out of business right now because of the FTC taking major action against them as a result of what we did.
0: I am so impressed with your work. I should let our listeners know we are speaking with Josh Golan. He is the Associate Director for the Campaign for a Commercial-Free Childhood. It's a marvelous organization. And I should let our listeners know that, Josh, you are one of three people on staff. And the accomplishments that your center has been able to do, really come from this grassroots organizing ability to bring parents from all over the country together to know that there's an umbrella for us. There's an organization that we can join to share our experiences. I want to mention that there was just recently a blog post, for example, where a parent wrote in and he he described his first experience standing up to marketing to children. It had to do with getting back to the lunch of uh, the school uh, situation. This was a situation where Craft Lunchables wanted to kind of partner with the school, and then the schools were going to get $2,500. The ability for parents to have a place to tell their stories and to draw strength from others and then to be part of a larger campaign to protect our children is huge. So you've done so much with a few staff and then a whole nation of concerned parents, and I just want to thank you for that.
1: Oh, thank you. I think that what we try and do is every parent is concerned about some aspect of commercial culture. Um, they may not be concerned about the same same aspects, but every parent is concerned whether it's violence or the sexualization that's marketed to kids, whether it's the junk food, whether it's the body images, the gender stereotypes that are marketed to kids. And so what we try and do is have campaigns that touch upon these different issues and get parents involved in our organization. And once they become involved, we say, well, you know, if you're concerned about eating disorders, you probably should be concerned about the violence that's marketed to children because, you know, these are the public health risks. These are the things that are undermining children's well-being. And so what we're able to do is, is really unite parents from across the political spectrum, from, you know, red states and blue states, because I think that every parent has a sense that something's not right when kids are being targeted with $17 billion of of advertising every year. Um, uh, They see it in their homes, they see it in their schools, and they see it in their communities.
0: And we often don't know what to do about it. And your organization provides us with strategies as well as feeling like we're not so alone out there. Now, I mentioned earlier the Fred Rogers Integrity Award, and I just want to let our listeners know that it was in 2008 when Morgan Spurlock received his, and the movie that I was uh, trying to recollect was the best movie money can buy. And tell me a little bit about the next Fred Rogers Award. Can you – I know you're going to be having your meeting in March, and it's going to be in Boston, which is where you're located. Can you give us a sneak preview
1: um, no you can't I, I, I'm putting you on I the can't. spot you you are putting me on the spot we we have we have offered the award uh to somebody and uh we are hoping that he uh that there's a hint it's a he, a he. Um, <laughs> <laughs> will we'll be able to attend the uh to the the summit and uh and accept it somebody who has been a a stalwart on behalf of children and protecting them from commercialism uh for gosh going back more than thirty years now.
0: Yes. Okay. Well, I apologize for that,
1: That's okay. uh, but I do
0: want to let our listeners know, what are the dates for the meeting, Josh?
1: Our summit will be held on March 21st through 23rd in Boston. It kicks off. We're going to have a performance by the Reverend Billy and the Church of Nonstop Shopping. If your listeners have ever seen the Reverend Billy, it's, um, it's he's pretty uh, pretty remarkable. He's a performance artist who Preaches about consumerism and and materialism and is pretty funny and wonderful. And then we're going to have a, a number of great speakers and workshops over the next couple of days. After that,
0: absolutely. And the summit appears to be taking place every two years. So, if our listeners have an opportunity to get to Boston between March twenty first and twenty third, I highly recommend this meeting. It really there's something for every parent, as you mentioned. There's some component of commercialism that concerns. Each of us. And I just want to let our listeners know, too, that you've got tremendous resources. And just to cover some of those issues, advertising in schools, children and screen time, you are supporting the week long activity. It's April 29th through May 5th, which is the screen free week. How nice and refreshing. I do want to talk a little bit about that. We'll go back to that, but also commercializing toys and play, the food marketing and obesity, marketing to babies and children. One of the issues that I learned at your meeting was how boys are targeted. Also, like being a a woman, there's so much emphasis on girls and body image, but also this whole line of masculinization of boys and the macho, gun-toting, masculine image and how that's changed. I learned that at your meeting. Uh, Media violence, sexualizing childhood the list goes on, but it's uh, certainly a worthwhile step. All right, let's talk a little bit about Screen-Free Week. Why is this important?
1: Well, it's important because children today are spending more time with screen media than ever before. Um, preschool kids are spending about four and a half hours a day uh, with computers, television, and video games. Children 8 to 18 are spending on average about six and a half hours a day. That doesn't leave a lot of time for other things, like physical activity, creative play, getting outside, reading. And so our group is in no way anti-media. We all use media ourselves. We're all, our director, Susan Lynn, actually used to work on the Fred Rogers show. We're not saying the kids should have no time with media, but it clearly, screen media is playing an outsized role in children's lives. And Screen Free Week is is a challenge every year to kids, to schools, to communities, to give up screens for a week and see if they can do it. To recognize all the amazing things that they can get done in a week if they if they're if they're able to do it, and kind of reset their their relationship with media. Obviously, the goal is not just to go that week, but to really make lifestyle changes going forward after the week is over. You know, it used to be called TV Turn Off Week, but it's clear that. TV is only one element of, of our nationwide screen addiction, so um, we changed it to Screen-Free Week and it's really pretty wonderful. People come up with all sorts of creative events that they host during the week. It's a real grassroots effort and it's something we're real proud of in that the parents in schools that participate have nothing but raves at the end of the week.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, many years ago, I've of course been interested in, in preventing childhood obesity for decades. <laughs> That's how long we've been looking at this topic. And I remember Stephen Gortmaker from Harvard really being one of the first researchers who looked at the harm related to children being in front of screens too much with regard to obesity. Not only that we're being less active, but because of this constant onslaught of media messages to buy this and eat this and drink that. And, of course, these foods are never in the healthful category. But I remember that one of the issues that parents brought up was that they feel like they don't know what to do. Like they feel like they have to entertain their kids if they're not sitting in front of a screen. And what some of the research found was that actually kids don't really want their parents to entertain them. They're happy to be screen-free and that they will find things to do. I like to promote Screen-Free Week as being trading screen time for green time Mm -hmm. because I think that children are really hungry and need to the core of their existence more time connecting with nature.
1: I absolutely think uh, agree with that. That children need more time connecting with nature. And and I also think that children don't need to be entertained. I mean, I my daughter is frequently playing by herself at home with her with her stuffed animals, with her with her Legos, with with her blocks. While we hear from parents, oh, you know, I. I need to make dinner, and so that's when I have my child watch TV. And I think that once you start down that road, once you start making TV or, or um, video games as kind of the default when there's a, a minute of downtime, that's how you're going to entertain your child, it's going to become self-fulfilling, and that's how a child is going to learn how to entertain themselves. But if you give them the space to come up with their own games, to come up with their own activities, children are amazing at figuring out ways to play um, whether it's with friends or even by themselves, I mean they've been doing it uh since <laughs> since they've been children okay. so um I think that i I think that one of the things that unfortunately parents do is is they train their kids to look to screens for entertainment and we train ourselves to do it right with our with our Facebook and our you know all the time that we're on screens as adults. but I think that one of the most important skills that kids can learn is how to entertain themselves without being entertained.
0: I agree. What was your favorite toy as a child?
1: I think I was probably I, probably blocks. Yeah. Um, I I could play for hours with my blocks.
0: Blocks were great. For me, it was crayons and paper. And for my own children, who are now young adults, I, there was nothing better than bringing home big boxes mm-hmm. and rolls of paper. And for hours, there there would be this wonderful creative play. We just have a couple of minutes, and I want to give you a chance to talk about any component of the Campaign for Commercial-Free Childhood that, that I may have neglected to bring up.
1: Well, I think that one of the things that's important for your listeners to understand is how pervasive advertising is these days. I think there's a tendency on behalf of people sometimes to still think of advertising as being something that happens on television, but unfortunately, advertising is is everywhere um, when it comes to kids. And obviously, we talked about the marketing in schools, but there's also a tremendous amount of marketing aimed at children now that's happening on the Internet. And, and this, average, you know, it's, it's concerning because um, it's new ways of targeting children. It's, it's using very personalized marketing, behavioral marketing, tracking kids across uh, a number of websites, and then creating a profile for them to give them the most targeted ad and so this is some of the you know unfortunately the, the the newer ways that our kids are being targeted. Fortunately, there are some good developments on this front The, uh, the Federal Trade Commission has just issued um, some some tighter rules around what companies can do on the mark on the on the internet in terms of collecting information. but I guess you know one of the things that we, we we always want to emphasize is that we're not just talking about television commercials anymore. We're really talking about kids being targeted uh, 24-7 or or at least while they're awake Um, and and that, you know, kids are growing up in such a commercialized world and it's really important that we carve out some space for them.
0: That was really well said. We're going to have to leave it at that, Josh. And I I want to thank you so much for being my guest. We've been speaking with Josh Golan. He's the Associate Director for the Campaign for a Commercial-Free Childhood. I encourage our listeners to go to the website, simply Google CommercialFreeChildhood.org, and you will find a wealth of resources to raise your child with love and good care. We're going to air this show first in February with Valentine's Day just around the corner. This is a perfect time to spend more time with your child in nature and visit the campaign for commercial-free childhood online. So, Josh, once again, thank you so much for being my guest. I want to thank our listeners, too, for joining us and remind everyone that Food Sleuth Radio is produced at KOPN Studios by Dan Hemmelgarn in beautiful downtown Columbia, Missouri. Josh, thank you so much for your work and your organization's work.
1: Thanks so much for having me.